0: Okay, guys, in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Ben. He is a, a first time Malinroth owner. He got this dog not as a puppy. He didn't get her as a six week old, seven week old, eight week old puppy. He got this dog already at six, seven months of age. Had a previous owner, and this guy has never owned a Malinroth before. His first working dog. He has done a lot of research, he has done his homework, he has talked to trainers, but he is going through what a lot of new people go through. It's something that you guys have gone through. I've gone through it where you're kind of new and you don't know where to look. You start doing your research but then you get a lot of information and even though a lot of it is good information, you don't know where to start. So I talked to Ben he reached out to me he asked me a few questions through social media. And I told him, "Hey, man, why don't we do an episode on my podcast where I answer all of your questions?" And since you are new to a working dog, and this is something that a lot of people relate to, I think this would be a beneficial episode for a lot of listeners. And that's what this interview is for. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. There we go. Hello, hello. Hey, William. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good, you. Good, thank you. Uh, I'm glad I finally went through.
1: Yeah, finally.
0: Cool, man. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time for uh, you know for this show. Uh, I know uh, you have some questions about your dog, your young dog, yep. and I know some of the listeners are going to probably relate to some of the some of the questions that you're gonna have that you have. Maybe some of the you know struggles that comes with. Having a young working dog. Oh yeah, so right I appreciate point. it, man. Thank you, thank you very much.
1: No problem, man. I, I appreciate you for uh, having me on and helping me. Actually, man, it's it's a huge help to me.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm huge, I'm huge very uh, very looking forward to this conversation. So, um, you have a young working
1: dog, uh, female. She's roughly about a year old, right? Pretty close, almost. Pre- I think I think yes, yeah, she's about eleven, almost eleven months, or right at yeah. about.
0: about 11 months of age. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, uh, you just to kind of give some of the listeners a little bit of a background, you, you didn't get her when she was seven weeks old. You got her when she was already about six, six months of age, nine months of age.
1: Six, Yeah. I think six to seven. Um, so I've had her about four months. Yeah. So I got her about six months,
0: six months of age. Okay. So, um, I know one of the things that a lot of people do with working dogs is they get a puppy seven weeks of age, eight weeks of age, and then they get this nice clean slate and, you know, they, they get to do a lot of it when it's easy, when the, when the puppy is not, you know, doing all kinds of crazy things. You have a six, six month old puppy. I mean, six months of age, that's already a big dog. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have uh you have two dogs, right? You you told me that you had two labs, so you you've had dogs in the past. Oh yeah, I've always had a dog, always. Okay, and uh, so is it a, like a fair assessment to say that this is your first working dog? Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Got gotcha. Okay. Um, now, what are some of the um, you know what are some of the things that. You know, based on our conversation, you've done your research. Uh you were telling me, you know, you you've watched some some videos on YouTube, you looked up some stuff. Um based on the stuff that you told me, you know, you, you brought up some names that you were looking up, you've done the, you know, all the reading, all the watching of the videos. You looked up people, you know, like Ivan Balabanov, Michael Ellis, uh Barbellone. You've talked to uh you've even talked to some trainers that have given you some tips here and there. So You've done your research. You're not like you know the average person that gets into this blind and they you know they're not willing to put in the work. You obviously want to put in the work, and uh, and you've done your research. But the thing about doing research and you know and uh, and looking at the videos, there are so many hundreds of videos out there. It's just so ma- so much information, it can be very difficult to pinpoint and get exactly what works for you when, you know, like you could look up how to teach a dog to sit, for instance, and they'll come up like, you know, 10 different videos on how to, how to do that. Um, would you say like, that's something that you kind of run into? What, what are some of the things that you found maybe a little bit frustrating about looking at a lot of information? Because you're not the only one, a lot of
1: people find themselves doing something like this. So I can tell you this much. Um... One of one of the potential downfalls you see in a situation like that is, um, and I don't know if it's the correct terminology, but you can kind of oversaturate and yeah. you, you can just kind of drown in um, content and things. And the thing is, is that you, if you're doing this on your own in that manner, like you have to have some sort of a plan, like, and, and to do that, I mean, you have it. Really needs some. You really need guidance. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the the biggest <clears throat> the thing is, is man. Do like in my case, when I have when I have watched videos and tutorials and things like that from several different trainers. That also can be kind of a, a a little too much, you know what I mean? Too mm-hmm. early. I think one of the best things to do starting is before you even like dive into the content is research and and determine if you can what system works best or what system are you going to try. You know what what. Mm-hmm. Uh, what works for you, and, and and choose that and go that route because you know you can find yourself going off in other directions um, very easily with so much. Oh yeah, out there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I was in your place, you know. I was in your shoes at at some point in my career. So so have a lot of dog trainers, you know, and a lot of a lot of dog owners. Uh, a lot of uh, sports people. That's exactly how we find ourselves. We go, okay, I, I want to get into this, or I want to, you know, I want to learn how to make my dog a little bit better, or I want to learn how to get into the sport, or I want to learn this new career. So then you do your research, and you're like, oh my god, I don't know where to start. Uh, so it's a very relatable experience, and uh, I'm a hundred percent. In agreement, with, with, I 100% agree with what you're saying because I've been there. I know exactly how how you feel. Now, what are some of the things that you uh, you know maybe you've tried with your dog, and uh, and kind of what have you done with uh you know with some of the information that you've gotten, and what have you uh, what have you noticed, and just to you know to give the listeners a little bit of background too this is not just a working dog, but this is a a very powerful working dog too. This dog has good Mm bloodlines. You know, it's not just a dog that you found on Craigslist. This is a a really nice, nice dog. Oh yeah. So what are some of the things that you've done uh, with your pup?
1: Um, You know, just worked uh, basic obedience um, Mm -hmm. recalls. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing is, is, That kind of to go back to our our previous point is depending on who you, uh, you know, who you follow or who you kind of research, the processes with them are are completely different. You know, what i mean. so um, I've been I've heard from some group groups that, you know, you don't really do hardly any obedience early because you don't want to. Uh, you know, be counterproductive or prevent uh, holding them back in the bite work. And then I've heard mm-hmm. from some that says, hey, none of that matters. Either your dog has drive and will, will bite or it won't. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with being so new, you don't really <laughs> yeah. know which is, all right, well, you know, which side. So you got to kind of figure out what yeah. works best for you.
0: So I'll tell you, I'll tell you my perspective on that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I've been working with working dogs, specifically with working dogs for the past, I'm going on 12 years now. And my first introduction into dog training was with working dogs from the very beginning. I didn't start the traditional, you know, I'm going to work with pet dogs and then go into, you know, working dogs. Mm -hmm. I started with working dogs right from the beginning um and so I was kind of flooded into this industry through working dogs, through the hard headed, very motivated, but very hard hard headed at times, very determined uh dogs. And I I can um I can tell you I've seen the different the different um schools of thought on that and I've known people that are very accomplished. And, you know, when I say accomplished, people that, you know, they, they've gone to worlds in different, in different protection sports, uh, people that have competed at a very and continue to compete at a very high level
1: mm-hmm. that mm-hmm.
0: are kind of on, a, on, on, on those two sides. And I know from, from a, a new person's perspective like you, this can be very confusing because this is something that, that is very, uh, you know, very out there. Uh, where people will tell you don't do obedience you know like don't do a whole lot of obedience focus on the bite work and the idea is the 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 reason behind that is basically they want the dog to focus on drive building uh, on the dog to feel very powerful mm-hmm. on the dog to have like no sense or or not as much of a sense of boundary as it is into, you know, how do I become more and more powerful each day? How do I express my drives in a much more powerful way? So the one school of thought is do that. And then once you have that sense of power, then we'll, you know, then we'll start doing some obedience. Then we'll start, you know, letting the dog understand what a sense of control, sense of boundaries are. And the main reason is just as you said, because it's, it's what you heard and what you told me is you don't want to do obedience because there's this, uh, this belief that obedience, whether it's through compulsion, so corrections, or whether it's through motivation, that it will give the dog a little bit of, a, of an inhibition when it comes to expressing their drives um mm-hmm. and and i've also you know and the people that, and the people that i've heard this from are very accomplished people mm-hmm. like if i told you some names of people that have told me this uh and and what they've accomplished you'd be like well then if that person said it then it's got to be true it's got to make sense yeah but to the on the flip side of that i have also heard Again, from very accomplished people in, in you know in different arenas, different sports, or even in the same sport, but just different people that are entirely the opposite of that and the the other school of thought is um, you know we're we're working with the dog in obedience to let the dog think to have the dog learn to you know learn to learn to love to learn to mm-hmm. love to, the problem solving um aspect of of obedience and then separately you work the bite work you work the drive and one does not impede the other it won't affect the other and you know it'd be easy if like all the accomplished people said one thing and all the people that haven't accomplished anything say oh no no it's this way and then you go well well that makes sense i'm just going to listen to the accomplished people You know, like Mm -hmm. if the very accomplished people tell me to do it this way and clearly they're super, super, you know, accomplished, they clearly know what they're doing and the people haven't accomplished anything, say to do it the other way, I'm clearly going to go to the people that know what they're talking about. The problem here, though, is from what you've heard and a lot of people have and myself included, uh, you know, when we're new, the problem is you see people accomplished people that do know what they're talking about have different sets of beliefs mm-hmm. it's almost like you know like some people will will you know believe in a certain religion i'm getting slightly off topic yeah, i do that sometimes no problem but you know some people go no this is the way it is this is how spirituality is this is what god is like and then other people go no no, no, no that's completely wrong this is how it is yeah um you know and both both sets of people can be very, very spiritual. And I find the same thing in dog training. And I know that is one thing that can be very frustrating to people that are new like you. You know, I run a protection club and I, I do have the new, you know, the, the new members occasionally or the members that are, you know, they're, they're kind of new with their working dogs. And I see the struggle with, with you know, they, 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 they have to decide, okay, what school of thought am I going to follow? Am I going to follow the school of thought of I'm going to do, you know, a lot of motivational clicker obedience early, early on? Or am I going to just kind of let the dog be a dog and then kind of figure that out as so the dog develops the drive? So it's something that is very, uh, you know, very dividing when it, when it comes
1: to that perspective.
0: And <laughs> yeah, go on.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. I'm
0: sorry. And, and I was going to say, and, uh, and to my experience, I truly believe that because I've seen both products, I truly believe that you could be successful with, uh, with both approaches. But it does ultimately, what's going to be the determining factor is not going to be whether, you know, it's not going to be the approach. The determining factor is going to be your level of skill and, uh, you know, and the people that you surround yourself with. So yeah, like, if definitely. you, if you came to my club and you told me, well, you know, I'm going to do, you know, not a whole lot of obedience. I want to do a lot of drive development and then I'll tell you, Hey, you know what? I'm on board. Uh, we can do it that way. And then when, you know, as the dog starts to get really powerful, really strong, I will show you and I will help you uh, how to, you know, how to get that way. And if you were to tell me, Hey, Will, I want to start with, you know, with motivational obedience Target training, clicker training, shaping right away. I will be like you know, definitely a hundred percent on board, and and we can help you be successful with both approaches. My personal belief is, I like to do the obedience early on, but that's my personal belief. Right. But anyway, go on. You were saying something.
1: So, like, what's what gets confusing about it, especially being so new, um, is so. What what my understanding had has been for for quite, you know, for the, the, the small time that I've been involved in this now is like the obedience. I have been doing the obedience with uh, with my dog as the with, as the source of food. You know what I mean? So as mm-hmm. I'm feeding her during the recalls and rewarding her, paying her that way. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she's eating consistently out of my hand during the training. So that's, that's what I use the OB for. Mm -hmm. So I have, I look at it like the OB and then the bite work is, um, is completely separate to where the OB is you're, you're obviously food motivating them, but, Mm -hmm. but the bite work, you, you, you're not, you're not motivated. You don't have to. Theoretically, you know what I mean. You want them mm-hmm. to just hop out and and go and get ready just to bite, but or want to bite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, to me, those seem like two different things. So, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. it, it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense when when people tell me initially, like, no, don't do this because it will it will you know it'll stunt the bite work. I mm-hmm. think, and again take a lot of this with a grain of salt because of my lack of experience but Mm -hmm. I I feel like a little bit of patience kind of almost uh, it debunks that theory to a degree Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. I don't mean patience as in like hey it's going to take months or so to maybe correct a mistake no I mean maybe patience as far as hey it might take 30 seconds to get this dog fired up and, and going as opposed to this dog fired up just immediately out of, you know, the kennel. Yeah. So with that, the flip side, and I'm sure you've seen this before too, is I've seen those dogs to where they are so prey driven and, and their, their drive is just through the roof that the obedience is 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 kind of I don't want to say lacking, but like the dog's drive just wasn't capped at some point. And so mm-hmm. it's 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 like they're it's like the dog wants to be the alpha, which we know most of them you know want to do theoretically. But mm-hmm. you see difference in, in these dogs to where um, it's too much. Like you have to yeah. dial it back. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So from my experience, cause I, I've seen this too, from my experience, the, um, the older school obedience approach, you know, the older school obedience approach was pressure, very pressure oriented. It was like to teach the dog to sit, to teach the dog to down, to teach the dog to do this, this, and that. It was pressure, pressure, pressure. And that's been the case until fairly recently. You know, maybe like the last 20 years, 15 years or so, that's when, you know, things started to change and people are more into like, you know, the motivational approach on obedience. Uh, Things definitely started to take a, a slightly different turn with how we primarily do obedience. Now, a lot of people still, to this day, use uh, pressure for obedience. Now, where that, you know, whether you want to call it a myth or a school of thought, where that one of the reasons or one of the places that, that originated from was from the approach of if you are going to do obedience and you are going to use pressure and you're going to use a lot of boundaries, then yes, we can definitely see how that could potentially... Um, you know, uh, inhibit some of that drive building, because now the dog is focusing on two things. The dog is going, is it okay to do this? Is it not okay to do this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas now, you know, training over the special the past 10 years or so, um, it, it's, it's definitely changed the tone for obedience training, especially competition has definitely changed. Where now obedience is very motivational, especially for competition dogs. Just like you said, you know, you're going to earn your food. So the dog is now super motivated to learn to do things. um, And they love the learning process. Whereas that's not as much of a, you know, doing that type of of obedience is not necessarily going to cap or deter or inhibit the drive. You know, it might make the dog think about you a little bit more which can be kind of a pain when you're doing bite work Mm -hmm. but it's something that you can overcome very easily what I have seen just like you noticed though um, this is something I have noticed and you know with some trainers with some dogs is they do tons of drive building very little obedience very little boundaries they don't even believe in teaching the out until later and they you know they, they create this this just dog that has no inhibition, super, super powerful, which is great. We want to see that. Yeah. But then then go then they go, okay, now now we gotta teach you some boundaries. And this dog for like months, months. Yeah, it's like you no know, boundaries. if not over a year, it's never ever had to to do that. Yeah. You know, like they've they've always choked it off or they've given her the reward. It's never ever had to think about uh how to maintain the game how to make it so that the the game is equally fun but with now more rules and more boundaries now they introduce the concept of hey now that you've been winning all along now Mm -hmm. you have to learn how to lose and that gets very conflicted in the dog and i've seen what that conflict does because now you have a dog that really really wants to bite and if it's a powerful dog, you introduce that conflict of, hey, now you have to let it go, now you have to lose, mm-hmm. they'll go through with it, but then you're going to have issues like, you know, unreliability, or you're going to have to get incredibly heavy handed, like unfair, like borderline inhumane, yeah. if like not flat out inhumane, because you've never introduced this concept to the dog until he was already very powerful. Yeah, it's like and, a rebellious
1: teenager at that point. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like but, you've never, I've never, you know, the
0: dog has never had to, you know, restrain himself. He's never had to think about letting it go. And now, 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 I'm going to ask you to do it. You don't even know how to do it, but we're gonna we're gonna tell you through a lot of pressure. So it's just better, I think, to go. Hey, we're gonna teach you that part of the game. When you're very young, part of the game—not the end of the game—but part of the game is to pause. Part of the game is to momentarily let it go so you can get it back again. Mm-hmm. Versus later on, we tell the dog, "Now you have to lose." Yeah, you know, now now you have to now you have to give it up, and you and you see so much conflict there. And I've seen that. And obviously, you have seen it too. Yeah, you see the
1: dogs. You see, you you see the dog wants to start self rewarding at that point.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know
1: what I mean. And you have to call it off on the bike. And at that point, you know, on the on the way back to the heel, it might, you know, want to want to fight that. And Mm -hmm. you know, and I've I've seen a a few, you know, just a little conflict there. Um, Yeah, yeah, and And, uh. that and i'm going to clarify
0: yes yeah, go on please go ahead
1: I, i'm sorry yeah i just said that just comes from a a crazy crazy drive but you know the theory behind it is every dog trainer wants that right yeah i mean you have so many i mean i've watched the videos of michael ellis and these guys that will tell you oh no they don't they don't really worry about that you know and so on but come on at the end of the day like every dog trainer that's going to train a working dog yet yeah, you want that drive you you will deal, yeah you will deal with that mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? you're willing mm-hmm. to try to conquer that um that beast. and so what
0: what i wanted to do too is because i know we've talked about conflict uh and you know you be, even though you're a new working dog owner you've had dogs in the past mm-hmm. you obviously have done your research You know, a lot of people that get their their working dog for the first time and they've only had their working dog for a few months, they don't even know who Michael Ellis is or who Ivan Balabano or Barbalone are Mm -hmm. unless somebody else has told them, you clearly are willing to do the the research. So the the term uh, conflict is probably something you're familiar with. So what I want to do real quick is I just want to take a a moment to clarify maybe to some of the audience what conflict is. Uh, So what conflict is, is when two drives, two desires collide. So two desires that are not compatible with each other collide, and conflict in this in this uh, in this uh, scenario that we're talking about with the bite and the out, for instance, mm-hmm. conflict is when the dog really wants to bite. It has this desire to bite, and it's it really wants it. It gets to the bite, and it's super super uh enthusiastic and and has a high high desire to keep biting it but it also has a desire to avoid pressure Mm -hmm. so what happens is when when you start using a lot of pressure to teach the dog to out in a very high drive state what happens is now you introduce conflict you basically have the dog that goes I really want to do that. I really want to bite, but man, I don't like what happens after that. Mm -hmm. And so you have these two very conflicted uh, desires where the dog goes, man, I really want that, but I don't want that. And one I've seen that uh, that's a very common one. Uh, A lot of uh, sports people will, will understand this conflict is going to happen at some point. Conflict is going to happen. Even if you don't do, even if you don't use a ton of pressure, The fact that you're introducing some different rules here and there, it kind of makes the dog go, wait a minute, I I don't understand this. What what do you mean that this has to be slightly different? And even if it's for a brief moment, you can see sometimes development conflict. So I'll give you an example. Uh, One very common way in which sometimes you see conflict, if if you do uh, sports, if you do protection training, this is kind of common. You know, you'll teach the dog to, uh, you know, to go for the bite. But then you start to teach the dog a call off, which a call off is hey, go for the bite until I tell you to come back to me. So the dog could be mid sprint, mm-hmm. like full, full throttle to the decoy. And then suddenly you tell the dog, hey, come back. Yeah. Now the dog has to hit the brakes, go, dang it, I really wanted to take that. I really, really wanted to bite. And so now the dog comes back. And even if this is done motivational, Cause you know, I've done this motivational with my dog and um, you know, and even if, if it's through motivation, sometimes you'll see the dog get a little bit confused for a moment where you'll tell him, all right, no, go ahead and go bite. And the dog goes, I really want to do that. But then they go, but I thought you didn't, but I thought you called me back the last time I did that. Mm-hmm. So like you see their desire to go like there's, they have this desire to go. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this other voice in their head comes in and goes, "Hey, remember the last time you did that? You were not allowed to do that."
1: Yeah, this could so be dog a trap. Goes, Uh mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what conflict is—is is when when two ideas, two desires, just kind of collide mm-hmm. and make the dog a little bit, uh, you know, maybe confused. Maybe that's what we call a conflict. The dog is conflicted with with its desires, and so sometimes you see that. Not sometimes, you definitely see it a lot when uh, the dog is being taught to out with a lot of pressure in a very high, high state of arousal, because then what happens is the dog really wants to bite. It's enjoying the bite, but as it's enjoying the bite, it remembers what happens next. Mm -hmm. And that's when you see them turning. That's when they see them whining a little bit more, Um, you know, all kinds of things, because even though they're enjoying it, they also remember what happens right about now. So um, anyway, I just I just wanted to explain that in a little bit of detail for some of the for some of the listeners that may or may not know what conflict is. Um, But so, yeah, I can definitely tell you done your research. You've uh, you've seen some of the training sessions, whether through video or in person. Uh, What are some of the questions that you have that, you know, maybe through even through research, you still have not been able to maybe get a clear answer on If you get too many answers and you don't know which approach to take, what are some of the things that, that I can help you clarify?
1: Um, you know, some of the, the biggest questions I have are simply, like what, what kind of bite work training and things like that techniques would you recommend for myself uh, mm-hmm. doing, doing with my dog? By myself, you know. Um, yeah, and you know, I've, I've, I was watching um, yours, and he posted a video. Mm-hmm. I think it was yesterday. Yours know um, from Quadrant Canine, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. And I was watching this, and he was, you know, working bite work with a dog by himself, and he had the lead around, uh, you know, a big. Palm tree, I think it was, and he had mm-hmm. and he was pulling he was allowing himself to give you know the slack for the dog, and then the, you know he had the uh, the juke sleeve on and the dog was was, was biting him mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so obviously he's training that dog. you know that was not going to be his personal dog, but I, one of the biggest questions that I had was, you know, obviously it's like, well, can I do something like that to where my dog will bite, but it's biting me? But then you also have that conflict of like, well, I don't think you really want your dog biting, mm-hmm. you know, you. And then so I, I kind of looked into that. And, and the majority had said that it's, it, it, it is possible, but it's not recommended. You know what I mean? Okay. So I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And even for someone like myself who has no experience, it's probably not a good idea to try or attempt to do. So, that- so I'm like, yeah, I rule that out.
0: You know that's a that I'm kind of glad that we were touching on this too because this is another huge huge question where a lot of dog trainers are very divided. Yeah. So uh, I I will explain that I'll explain the different schools of thought on that. Um, so there is this very common common very popular belief that you should never under any circumstances do your own bite work with your dog. And here is where that comes from, okay? um if i'm gonna train so let's talk a little bit about bite work and and uh and break down its basic components and and I'll make an analogy for this. Imagine um, bite work as as fighting okay because mm-hmm. fighting is is a very broad term, but bite work is kind of a broad term too so mm-hmm. i'll make you, I'll make an analogy to fighting let's say. Uh, you know, you have your child and you want your child to be a good fighter, right? Sure. So you want your child to be a good fighter. There are people that will tell you, hey, you should never fight your child because, you know, you don't want your child to kick your ass. And then, you know, then they lose respect for you and they <laughs> get the idea that, yeah. that, they, that they... You're that no your longer the can...
1: man of the house.
0: <laughs> exactly, right? But But you're also going to have people that will tell you, hey, no, 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 hold on. Because fighting can be divided into a couple of different components. There is technique, and then there is dealing with stressful situations, right? Dealing with conflict, dealing with de-escalating conflict, Mm -hmm. right? So those are two different skills. So I could take that and go, you know, my child is going to learn how to be a fighter. I don't have to wait for a boxing instructor or a boxing gym to open up for me to send my child to that, especially if I don't have a lot of access to that. But here's what I can do with my child. I can teach them technique. I can teach them what a jab is. I can teach them what a cross is. I can teach them what a hook is. I can teach them what an uppercut is. I can teach them what a block is. I can teach them the footwork. And, you know, I can put the pats on, right? I can put the pats on my, on my palms Mm-hmm. And I can have my son practice his jab cross, right? His jab cross hook, his jab cross uppercut. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to slap my son around. I'm not going to go, hey, you know, let's learn how to fight it. And I'm going to start beating his ass because then we are going to have problems, right? Yeah. Um, it's not but the same as just
1: sparring. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So if I teach my child, hey, dude, let's, let's do some jabs and some crosses, that doesn't that doesn't demean the 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 authority figure that I have for my child, because one, the child understands, and I'm making it clear to my child this is about technique, right? Mm-hmm. It's you are learning how to strike. You're learning how to do a jab and a hook and a cross. Um, so, but for that to to happen, I should have an idea of what a cross and a jab and an uppercut. And, and, uh, and, and, and a block are. if I don't know what I'm doing I'm not going to teach my my child the proper technique right. so with my dog with your dog, really in training in general, the big question is, crap, do I do bite work with my own dog? You break bite work into a couple of basic components. one is grip technique, right mm-hmm. The other component of bite work. Is maybe use more, uh, more serious and more, uh, you know, a little bit of what we call more defense-oriented exercises. And if we're talking about defense-oriented exercises, typically those are more pressure-oriented scenarios with buy work. They're a little bit more serious, not necessarily though. Um, and and that in itself is an entirely different topic on whether you want to work them in defense a whole lot or not. But to kind of go back to the to the to the main topic here. If I'm working a dog on technique, even if it's my own dog, I can work my own dog on technique. I can work my own dog on, on, on the proper grip. I can work him on the push grip. I can work them on that because, you know, I'm teaching him technique and I know what I'm doing. Right. So me doing that for my dog is not going to make my dog bite me, you know? Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's what will happen. And, I'll, and some people do believe that, you know, it's a big no-no. It's a bad word. You should never do Bible with your own dog. But if you understand that you can do technique, man, you can do technique. And, and, and I'm going to do a little bit of name dropping here. You know, I've talked to Barb alone. I've talked to Dave Croyer. Um, I've talked to other trainers that, you know, again, that, that have the very accomplished and they also do their own bite work. When I talked to Barb about this topic, um, he told me, he was like, you know, uh, Michael has his wife, Michael and I have, you know, we've always worked our own dogs and Dave Croyer, same thing. I mean, this is a guy that will definitely work his own dogs and bite work, but they're working on technique. They're not, you know, they're the the uh the concept of respect to the owner to the to the handler never goes away because the dog understands this is mostly like a sparring game for you to understand what technique is mm-hmm. um, but if we're gonna get serious and we're gonna do defense defense work we're definitely not gonna do that that's not something you want to do with your own dog um, but there are trainers that are like hey even if it's just technique. It should really be with somebody else who knows what they're doing.
1: Right. Yeah. So Ultimately, that's what it comes down to is that, you know, I, I'm not qualified to really work it. So, the answer mm-hmm. to my question is no.
0: Yes, no. But but the, I can give you some tips too. I mm-hmm. can also give you some tips. So, um, one thing, like if you really have no idea what you're doing and, and a lot of people are kind of, you know, in the same way. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way that you have no idea what you're doing. But I mean it's in bite work at least. You know, this is something that these are – this is a foreign territory to you. But here are some things that you should not do. And I think part of the, you know, winning the battle is also knowing how not to screw up your dog. Okay, so here are some Mm -hmm. things that you should not do. This is for you. Uh This is for some of the audience as well here's Here are some things that you should not do with your own dog to develop the bite work one don't let your dog just gnaw and chew on on um you know on uh, on soft toys, plush toys mm-hmm. so like don't let him have his little you know his little teddy bear. Or, yeah, uh, you know, her little, her little squirrel and just have her gnaw on it, take it to the corner and just gnaw on it. Because when you just let your dog do that, it potentially creates, potentially, not necessarily that it will 100%, but it potentially creates some bad habits that could translate to bite work. You know, like, because that's what bite work is. If I give you a flirt pole and I, if, if, you give me, if you bring me your dog and I work with your dog with a flirt pole, or I work your dog with a puppy sleeve. It's essentially just a soft plush toy, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I'm using it to work your dog's grip. So if you know, if we we're very very calculated about this process, and then you go home, and you know, you give your dog uh, a squeaky squirrel, or uh, you know, a, a soft teddy bear, and mm-hmm. it and it. Grabs it and it takes it to its crate and just gnaw, gnawing on it, gnawing on it. It's it's grabbing it, is... thrashing it, you know, shaking it. Yep, it's it's just rehearsing poor gripping behavior. So, um, one thing that you should never ever do, especially if you don't know a whole lot about how you know how to develop your dog's bite work, and you just have to rely on a decoy. Is do not let your dog just chew on soft toys because they could potentially rehearse poor gripping behavior. Um, you know, and, and as far as other stuff, other things that you could do for bite work that could benefit your dog for bite work is teach your dog the concept of trading. Okay. So what I mean by that is for instance, you could have two uh, toys. Two toys exactly. Two ball it, um, and you trade one toy for the other, mm-hmm. um, or you give him a ball, and then you trade the ball after he plays for for with it for a few seconds. You you have some food. You put it right in front of its nose, and let it know, hey, if you drop this, you get you get the food, and so introducing your dog to the concept of trading. And the concept of trading doesn't mean that you lose. It's still part of the game. You still get to win. It really sets the tone for later when you have to do some outs. And you do it without, you know, you don't even have to say out because they don't even know what out is. Like the word itself, they don't even know where it is. But if you at least introduce the concept of trading, that can, I'm telling you, that really can set you up, um, you know, in the right foot. Mm -hmm. as your dog progresses in bite work. So I think if you do those two things that, you know, you can definitely do, um, that will help you out. That will help your dog out. And and your decoy will thank you, you know? Yeah. Uh, That way you're not not having to put all of that on the decoy. So, uh, no, that's a really good question. Uh, Was there anything
1: else that you had? Oh, yeah. Um, So, again... I, this there might not be like like two widely varying um, philosophies on this. But one one question that I do have and, it, and I guess the answer could be subjective based upon, you know, do you have a working dog or do you have a sport dog? Like how intense, how serious is it? But um, in your opinion, for a dog like myself, uh, for a dog like mine, what is an adequate or uh, enough time, or is there any time al- allowed for the dog um, outside of its kennel? Obviously, I'm mm-hmm. not saying just unsupervised, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with our other two dogs, maybe allowed to have some social interaction with those two. I've, I did. I feel like I did a pretty good job with her and our two labs because there was never any conflict with any three of them at all. Because we have a male and a female. And all three of them get along fine. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean... Yeah, no, I, I, I
0: see where you're going with that, definitely. I've um, been
1: told by so many that it's like, you know, no, no rec time, no, nothing. It's like the dog is either working, uh, training with you. And if it's not training or, you know, outside using the restroom, then it's back in the kennel. Mm-hmm. And I, I do, do, I agree a hundred percent with that. These dogs have to be kenneled. And I do, but I'm still kind of on the fence about, well, do they have to be kenneled one hundred percent of the time. Is there not? A, is there not a way to incorporate that in some way of having some kind of rec time with interaction with mm-hmm. the family and the other dogs and a supervised, you know, environment and whatnot? Because we have some property yeah. too, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I had reached out to. One of uh, someone else, you know, and just for some advice and just saying, hey, uh, um, do you think it would be all right if uh, if I took, you know, took my dog over here, you know, to our land and uh, while I'm there, just kind of give her an opportunity just to kind of run. You Know what I mean? It's 10 mm-hmm. acres or whatnot, and we mm-hmm. have a little ATV in the, the labs. They go nuts, they like to run with that thing and they'll run the whole prop. You know what I mean? And just, mm-hmm. um, just, just to give her an opportunity just to kind of run and, and play with other dogs, you know, maybe 10 15 minutes. And it was like, no, absolutely not. No, That's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, you're crazy for even asking. But yeah, it's like, you know, okay, but then here's the thing if you rely on online content and whatnot, and if you go through Instagram and you follow (laughs) all these pages and you're looking at all these people that are still training their dogs and their dogs look all so happy. And then you see them in their beds and you see them like running the house and just (laughs) having, and it's like, hold up. What? Well, wait,
0: what's going on here? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like what's the, is there a balance? Is there a true balance for someone like me or is it just better off saying no? And, 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 think that if the ones that say no is it almost like saying telling me no only because i'm not yet um experienced maybe to you know to do that yet is it more or less me or is it not that philosophy that some people have that there's just no that that you know that that is
0: another excellent excellent question because this is also a matter of schools of school of thought. Uh, You know, we, we touched on this a little bit last night, yesterday when we were talking on the phone Mm -hmm. where, you know, there are different, different views, different uh, methodologies in dog training. And it's almost religious. Like, you know, some people are like, it's gotta be this way. And some people are like, no, 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 it doesn't have to be that way. It has to be this way. Um, And that kind of goes back to that. You know, Uh, I think, that's a, that's a reoccurring theme in our conversation so far. Mm-hmm. Tonight, it's, well, you know, there are two different schools of thought. And, and I've seen all of them. I've seen, I've seen them. And, and I can tell you the different product that those bring up. And I can tell you where it originates from. So there is some logic to that. Okay? Here's the logic to that. And it makes sense, honestly. What, this, what these people are telling you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when they're telling, hey, you know, you know, keep the dog in the crate most of the time. Here is where it, where it comes from, and there is logic behind it. Once I tell you, once I explain it to you, it's going to make a lot of sense. And that's the thing. That's I think that the problem is you've been told some things that are really good, mm-hmm. but they haven't really told you the logic behind it. So you're like, I don't get it. So I well, want to tell you
1: <laughs> before you before you say that. Now I'm going to cut you off. Keep, no, go ahead. Keep it. Keep in mind that, um, as far as I do. I, I do understand the logic as far as why that they're kenneled. hmm So, but my, my, own my confusion is, or my question is, is like, and I feel like I've done a very good job with mine on the kennel. You know, she stays in there. and mm-hmm. uh, and And she hasn't been given any of that um, extra time out. Like, she hasn't. I've been very strict on that. And, and I, I, I'm wondering, could I be, you know, a little bit better about that? But my, my, again, my question is not necessarily why does she have to say kenneled? My question is, is is there a, a middle ground between having them, you know, whether it's 10, 20 minutes a day or or whatnot of having that little social time with family and the other dogs.
0: I will definitely answer that question for sure, um, but I do want to go over the logic a little bit. Yeah, definitely. That way, uh, you know, again, it for some of the listeners, they're like, okay, what's the reason behind it? Because a lot of people do hear this. So the logic behind it is, if your dog gets to run around and be a member of your family and it gets to be a fur child, uh, what happens is. During that time that your dog is out and about and hanging out with you and taking naps with you, mm-hmm. and you know sniffing the dogs and running around your your yard and, and you know doing this and and that, what happens is your dog gets to experience spikes of uh, you know of happy moments, uh, spikes of happy horm- happy chemicals. Um, they your dog gets to experience uh, dopamine in mm-hmm. different in different parts of the day and now training becomes another fun part of the day but now the dog has more options like yeah training with you is fun dad but you know smith- you know smelling um you know smelling fido's piss is also fun you <laughs> right. know like laying on your bed and uh you know and and tearing up your pillow that's also fun yeah so the the logic behind keeping the dog in the crate primarily your working dog primarily in the crate is we want them to experience those high moments of arousal and excitement and dopamine only while you're training so once training whether it's with by work or with you once that is over they get to digest it sleep on it and dream about it in their crate and then the reason why people will tell you leave them in the crate is because the logic is if you keep them in the crate, now they're looking forward to the next training session because when they come out of the crate, their rec time is training session. Mm-hmm. The recreation time is the bite word. The recreation time is spending time with you know with learning the the foos the the plus the the you know the sits all of that. And so then they go, oh man, I gotta go back in my crate. And now they're like, oh man, I, I can't wait to come out and train. And that makes them really enthusiastic about training. Whereas the, you know, your, your fur child goes, yeah, dad, I love to train. I love to spend time, you know, learning the, the foods and the plots and the sits and the bite work, but I also really like tearing up your pillow. I also like, you know, uh, you know, tearing up the flowers I also like s- sniffing the, the critters and the, and, and tracking the deer out in the yard. So that's kind of the logic behind it. Now, what you've been told. Uh, and your, your concern. So what you've been told to, to me makes sense. I, you know, I've heard this a lot with, uh, with working dogs, mm-hmm. uh, but also what you see, you know, like you, you follow some, some trainers, you follow some accounts and you see exactly what you told me. And I, and I see the same thing too. You know, I see these people that do compete. They do, you know, uh, you know, they do even compete at a high level. But you see them going on hikes with their dogs. You see them, you know, uh, doing things with their dogs. And so it makes you go, well, what the hell? I I mean, is this wrong? Is that right? What's going on here? Yeah, why can't I walk my dog? Yeah, exactly. So the other school of thought is, and again, I know people, uh, you know, two of my instructors, uh, you know, so I've had a bunch of mentors in my career and two of them we very very, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I don't mind if my dog comes out and goes for a hike and, and goes walking around with me. And I mean, these are people that I respect. These are people that, you know, I look up to. And they gave me that different perspective. Like, no, you, you can. You should do things with your dog. It should be fun for your dog to do this and that. And they also compete in worlds. So they're not just, you know, your, your average dog training down the road. These are people that are very competitive too, and uh, the school of thought behind that is: uh, your dog should have the chance to be a dog, and really, it's your responsibility to be good enough to be more interesting than dirt. And that's that was the mm-hmm. saying that they had. Yeah, I know your dog wants to, you know, smell and and be a dog and go for a walk, but in training. It is your job to be more engaging and more important than dirt. And now that responsibility falls on you, right? The school of thought of that is let your dog be a dog. The, the responsibility, they put that on you. Whereas, hey, keep your dog in the crate 24 hours a day. And I'm exaggerating, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, Keep your dog in the crate 24 hours a day so that it only comes out so that it it only trains and only eats when it trains. That's putting the responsibility on the dog. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. So there are two different approaches. And one, we're going to tell you, dude, you need to be a better trainer. You need to be a better dog owner. The other one is, hey, make every, you know, do everything you can to make it so that your dog is obsessed with training. And in my personal opinion, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm not for one or the other. I actually like them both because I have dog, I have working dogs Mm -hmm. and uh, I do like a combination of, of those, you know, like I have my, my working dog. Uh, My wife has uh, her working dog and she, she had a a working dog that, you know, recently passed away, different story. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we both had our working dogs and, and my working dog is primarily a working dog. Like if, You're in the crate, but you're out for like either to do bite work, to do obedience, to train, to eat. But I've also I also do other things with that dog. You know, I do go for walks with him. Uh, I do let him run around and be a dog. I do let him, you know, do stupid shit and, you know, be a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so he's not like my fur child. He's not like sleeping on the couch with me. He's not, you know, laying on, the, on his bed with my shoes. Mm-hmm. He's not doing any of that stuff. Uh, so he's primarily my crate and train dog, but he also, you know, a few times a day, he does have his recreational time. He does, you know, get to, you know, sniff and say hi to the other dogs and hang out for a little bit. And that's what I do. My wife did the same thing. Where, uh, you know, her dog was primarily a crate and train dog, but that dog was also out and about. That dog also spent time in that, inside the house. It wasn't a lot, you know, but, mm-hmm. but we both, you know, do embrace that where we have that nice balance of, hey, you can be a dog. Uh, you know, you can do some, you know, you can do the stupid stuff. You can roll in the grass you can go say how to the other dog. Still within boundaries, still, you know, in a very reasonable manner where you're not getting out of hand. Right. Uh, but is in
1: controlled?
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> so my,
0: my advice to you, you know, not only based on my experience, you know, my experience can only go so far. But based on, uh, on the people that I look up to that have, also, have accomplished a hundred times the trainer that I am and have accomplished way, way more than I have, they have the same philosophy as I do. Which is, hey, you know, uh, yeah, you can let your dog be a dog. And they have the accomplishments to back to back it up. Yeah. So it, to you and everything. Exactly. So to you, I would say, uh, you know, it's it is it is okay to, you know, have your dog have some rec time, you know, have your dogs have some uh you know some recess time where he she does get to hang out for a little bit, she does get to be a dog, she does get to go, you know, on your property, hang out for a little bit. But then, you know, go, all right, dude, once reg time is over, you're going to go rest and then we're going to train, mm-hmm. um, you know. And the, the other thing, too, the other thing that I like about the crate and train philosophy, the one thing that I do like about that, the crate and train philosophy, is when I when you adopt that crate and train philosophy, it actually forces you to train more. Right, because you're thinking, well, shit, this dog's been in the crate for a long time. I gotta take her out. Yeah, I got but, but if I if I take her out, I gotta train. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That that is a really good thing about the crate and train philosophy. Is it makes you it makes you train your dog more often. Whereas if your dog is just a fur child, it's easier to go. Ah, oh, you know, he's been out for a while. I don't really need to train. You know, like maybe do one training session a day, and he's probably gonna be all right because he's been out all day. Yes. Whereas Crate and Train, you gotta train your dog. If your dog's gotta come out, so that means you gotta give your dog several training sessions per day. So that is one one really good thing about the Crate and Train philosophy. But you know, yeah, that's how it is. I mean, I I would say, dude, don't don't feel bad. Take your dog out, let her be a dog, and just feel it out. You know, play it Mm -hmm. out. See what what you prefer to what works for you yeah definitely
1: um i think everybody kind of agrees for the most part that you know you kind of have to earn it and 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 i i completely understand that too and it's it's one of those questions that like if you know if you're at club and you're you're a new dog owner and you you ask that that's when everybody kind of looks at you like oh here we go yeah. <laughs> and and almost assume like do I really have to kennel my dog and it's like no that's not what I'm saying I, I like I'm I'm clear on the kennel part like but I'm just not clear on the uh, uh you know 100% like I, I was even asking like um, you know 5 or 10 minutes and I was told at some point like no yeah at zero so Yeah. like oh, okay you know right. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, I get it, and I, I didn't really necessarily know if it was. Uh, the answer was more or less me, you know what I mean, or the dog.
0: And part of it might have been that too. Part of it, part of it might have been sometimes, and, and this is my perspective, you know, as a as an instructor, and when I, you know, when I have my club members, if I have somebody, if I have a new somebody who's very new, you know, with dog training, somebody who's very new with their first dog and they tell me hey you know well what should i do i do this sometimes the easiest answer to give them is definite answers you know yeah like if they're brand new
1: truth. yeah
0: it some so that that would be like my my only that would be like the only thing that maybe i think that was their point is to yeah. go you know what? if we tell them yeah you know 5 minutes here and there 5 minutes here and there can turn easily into half an hour here and there, you know, an hour here and there. Right. Um, not, not necessarily because it's you, you, as you, as, as yourself, but in general, <clears throat> yeah. sometimes and- people don't, don't, uh, don't abide by those little, oh yeah, five minutes here and there. And it's just easier to go. No, nope.
1: Yeah, th- that's true. And, and it, it, it's, it's different with, with all of the trainers. Mm -hmm. you know, I guess trainer to trainer and you have, um, you know, you have the difference in, you know, in the personalities. Um, And so I can, my preference is, is, you know, the, the, the cold, hard, you know, truth to the matter. Uh, Mm -hmm. If it is, if the answer to that question is, you know, has a lot to do with my inexperience, you know, then, Hey, at that point, it's like, at some point you can get there, but just not right now. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, but here's the thing. One thing that I have noticed with some of these dog trainers and it's, I don't know if it's the correct terminology, but more of the more, the more commercialized kind of Mm -hmm. trainers is, you you see they have this uh, persona or you know or or they this bravado or some mm-hmm. some way but you can kind of almost assume and it might be a reasonable assumption that they treat people the same way that they do dogs <laughs> and yeah. I, and what I mean by that is is when you train a dog you don't have to explain to them there is no why that you don't yeah. have to there the dogs don't have to know the why
0: yeah. But,
1: if you're training a, a person, a human being to train a dog, they have to know the why. Yeah. So if you're so used to training and not knowing <laughs> and not having to train the why, well then having to do that is like, is different. And yeah. they don't, and, and some of them don't want to do that. That's out mm-hmm. of their, their style. That's out of their realm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, and two, I've, a lot of a lot of people who stick to animals sometimes I, I say a lot have like kind of unique personalities. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe socially in awkward, but, but <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. But they yeah. just relate, and they're far more comfortable with animals because there's no why. There's no there's no
0: difference. yeah yeah. I mean, one of the common things. That, as an instructor for, uh, for dog trainers, one of, the, one of the more common things that I hear a lot from people, you know, who want to be dog trainers is when, you know, when they explain why they want to work with dogs, mm-hmm. a very common answer is, it's because I don't like people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's because, you know, I don't do well with people and I like animals and that's why I want to work with animals. But the one thing we always tell them is, you picked the wrong career then because if you're going to work with dogs guess where you're going to work with you're going to be working with people.
1: Yeah. And
0: that is a skill. That truly is a skill. I've known I've known and I've worked with amazing dog trainers, freaking awesome, awesome super super good dog trainers that did not have the proper people skills.
1: Right. So here's the thing to, to, to go back to one a main point, dude, that, that is very important when it comes to anybody in my situation being, being new. And if you're looking to join a club, if you're looking to, to, um, find an actual trainer for private lessons or, or for what, like, don't, don't go and look and choose a trainer because you feel like, oh, he's the best for with the dogs or you mm-hmm. like the dogs the best or because his training technique or their training, her technique is, you know, is what you prefer or whatnot. Like actually think about the situation. If you're in a board and train at that point, it, it doesn't really matter all that much mm-hmm. except for towards the end. And if you have questions and things like that, but mm-hmm. if you're looking to do this yourself, you've got to pick the right trainer that has the correct and adequate people skills. And that yeah. are willing to teach you the why and, oh, yeah. you know, and go through the details because yeah. you always hear that this is what works for me. Mm -hmm. And really that's, that's them telling you that this is how I do it. And this is how I want to do it. And I don't really want to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. 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 So, you know, find the trainer, man, that, that, that will communicate with you and that understands your, your needs and, and whatnot, because there's a huge difference, man. There's a huge difference between getting a dog and then trying to find a trainer to train your dog and then getting a dog and then trying to find a trainer that will train or teach you to train your dog. And Mm -hmm. I made the decision to train my dog myself, meaning that Mm -hmm. I got to learn this. So my dog Mm -hmm. is only going to go as far as I go. So it's up to Mm -hmm. me. So if she's lagging, then it's, it's, it's me. And so Mm -hmm. here's the thing, like another, like another part or aspect of it that that you you that is very polarizing, and it's man is like after a couple of months, William. Look, dude, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I got attached to the dog. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm sport dog, working dog. I don't give a shit. That's my dog. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I love that dog. I'm attached to it. Mm-hmm. And some people, like I'm capable of. Uh, of of maintaining a, a a barrier, you know what I mean. When, when, when I know I need to. For instance, we have labs, and a couple months ago, the, you know six months ago or whatnot, the female had puppies. Well, I didn't get attached to any of the puppies because I knew they were you know they were going. So, capable of that, but like I, what I'm getting at is is I see some people with their relationships. That's like, well, it's a working dog. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, it is a working dog, but damn, stop acting <laughs> like you don't love the dog. Like, like it's yeah. still not important to you. But the 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 thing is, is man, with me, I, I got the dog and I got attached to it. Yes, I, but I made the decision to do this with this dog. So, yeah, I took this dog and I made the conscious decision to take this dog at six months with. Unfortunately, with the bad habits that were already installed in, in the puppy at the time. Mm-hmm. So now, did I know about all that? No, but that I guess that's kind of irrelevant. But so my point is, is that we're in a lot of other situations where I've, I've heard it, where trainers will be like, I oh, will just all right, we'll flip the dog, you know, basically trade it and just go get you a puppy.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: just start over. It's that that's that's a quick fix. And it's mm-hmm. like, mm, first off, no. Nah. <laughs> okay. Right. There's there's aspect there's one, I am attached to the dog. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But two, I also I set my mind to it to do this with this dog. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's not fair to just even consider like dumping the dog. And then the other thing too is like. Maybe some of the habits or or whatnot and things like I have bad habits, too, and my lack of experience might contribute to some of them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, okay, let's just say I was I was that kind and was willing to just cut ties with the dog and and send it back or whatnot and and then go get a mail. Well, who's to say that I am not going to do some of the same things with that mail and end up in the same situation? Yeah, exactly. That's a good you point. I mean? so, That's a very good point. You know, um, man, it's just there's so much that, 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 that goes into it. And,
0: and it's, really, it's really good. I'm glad we had this conversation because, one, <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to help you and answer your questions. Uh, two, the, quest- the topics that we touched on tonight, mm-hmm. these are questions that I've heard before. And and I know like this is being new at uh, you know with with working dogs is something that a lot of people go through, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is also good for the trainers to to listen to. You know, if you're a dog trainer, you have to understand from the perspective of a, of a client. You know, like you, dog mm-hmm. trainers need to understand that it's not just about what you know; it's about how you convey it it's about how you explain it it's about how you teach it and about how you talk to that person if you can't reach the the owner you can't reach the dog right you know it has to make it has to make sense to the owner
1: yeah the human yeah the human has to the 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 person has to know the why you have Mm -hmm. to understand what it is you're doing and why for you to reinforce it and and actually support it you know what i mean Mm-hmm. and so yeah that that's part of it that that is that that's part of it but here's the thing man I, i've met one particular trainer a younger guy um he lives you know like an hour hour and away hour and a half or so away from me but like he's i don't know what you would call it uh, maybe unorthodox or just kind of uh more laid back um mm-hmm. he's he's kind of the complete opposite of what you, what you see in a lot of other trainers, Mm -hmm. but you know what? Like he gets, he he's, he's getting some, he's getting results out of, you know, his dogs and I've been seeing and he, he came by and he worked with mine for a little bit. And, and really I saw a lot of positive things, you know? So Mm -hmm. he, he is one that, that is proving to me again with my limited experience that you know the the the, the phrase is true there's more than one way to skin a cat mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh you just gotta you just you gotta figure it out on the way like what 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 fits best for you and your dog
0: Definitely. i think
1: Any advice for anybody in my situation, like with me, as far as if you are resorting to online content, um, people like Michael Ellis, Ivan, um, the, the training without conflict, those probably fit better for somebody like me, because if you, if you don't know, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to be put in a a position to be too dangerous. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. Michael S has like a really um, subtle kind of approach, I guess, to training from what I've noticed and and how Mm -hmm. he, you know, approaches these dogs and such. And it's, uh, it's very drastically different. You can tell from if you go watch, say, like a... Nino Nino uh, what mm-hmm. what what's his last name Dwort or
0: uh... yeah drawer Djoer something I don't yeah. I remember yeah But yeah exactly. I know who you're
1: talking about Yeah you can see a drastic difference in difference in styles and and what and what oh, yeah. between the two and probably how they train and also too probably how they deal with people You mm-hmm. know what I mean? like just I, I I would probably gravitate more to like michael ellis's style than i would nino's Mm -hmm. personally but maybe other people would somebody else might see the speed and this dog spinning and and running at such a young age and think like well that's that's what i want to do and then that might appeal to them and and they might prefer somebody like you know nino style and that's great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you just got to kind of figure it out man and pick a pick a style and, and and go with it and then once you get a, a then you can kind of pick little little things and little details and techniques or whatnot from other people's style and kind of create your own and go from there but
0: that is definitely uh i mean yeah. you you're touching on a very good point and a very good uh and excellent uh, problem i guess that a lot of people have is I was having this conversation with Jerry Bradshaw. He has a really awesome podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jerry Bradshaw. He was one of the founders yep. of PSA. So uh, one of the things that we were talking about is I noticed it, he notices we because we've, we've talked about this in the past too, is when – because there are different ways to skin a cat, because there are different approaches that you can take to dog training – one of the problems that that uh come with the different ways to train dogs is people will bounce from this technique to that technique to that technique and then they'll try to just merge them all. Which if you don't have a, a grasp on the basic fundamentals understanding man. yeah of dog training, it can be very confusing. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be an expert dog trainer. You know, you don't have to have you don't have to be this amazing uh, dog trainer to to have a well-trained dog. You can you can have that by following a system and being consistent with that system. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. Um, Versus you know going, around, I'm gonna try this. I wanna try that. Or I, I think I wanna try that. So just like you said, you know, to you, you feel like you can relate a little bit better with you know Michael Ellis's style. Uh, to somebody else, somebody might relate a little bit better, you know, with uh, maybe Nino Nino style, mm-hmm. um, or Ivan style, or or Barbara Lone's, uh you know, his his system. So well,
1: yeah, and let me say this: I've actually never really seen. Nino's style you know or like training or anything i just kind of mm-hmm. see his content and stuff like what he posts you know with his dogs and his puppies and and he's all about like the real quick and the speed and flashy and that stuff which yeah real flashy kind of and that's cool that's great and all but like w- with what i'm looking to do and accomplish that that doesn't it, it doesn't really serve uh i don't wanna say serve a purpose but it's not it's just not what i'm I'm looking for right now maybe in years down the road when I when I let me let me learn to crawl first you know I mean yeah start trying to turn mouths into little Ferraris or or (laughs) you know right right it's got appeal dude it really does it's got a commercial appeal to it and it's it's cool I just not yet man not for me yet yeah
0: I mean yeah you've Um, only had this stuff for a
1: few months yeah so um you know, things, things like that. Um, the, the, the other questions like I have is like, I, you know, I've learned that um, everything with these dogs should be intentional. You know what I mean? And you really got to pay attention to everything much like you would uh, a toddler, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, i start to wonder about, uh, putting emphasis on on things with the dogs, and then putting too much. Like I wonder, like see, I in in my job, I um, I can go to the office and work every day, or I can work from home. So mm-hmm. I try to have a, a a balance of that. So generally, I might work from go to the office Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then work from home Thursday, Friday. But I always take her with me to work mm-hmm. and um so the interaction say from and just the little things just say from when i'm parking my truck and i'm getting around and i'm walking her through the parking lot into the building and up the stairs and then down to my office like with with not doing tons of ob you know i, I get her on the leash and she pulls me everywhere yeah and the natural reaction is to, like, I want to stop and pull back and then, and, and then correct that, you know. But then it's mm-hmm. like, no, don't correct that because I don't want to stunt the bike work. <laughs> so basically what, what everybody at my office has seen for the last three months when I come to work is this damn dog that's basically just working my ass and just pulling me, you know, yeah. mean, straight to my office. And I'm, like, trying to train this dog. And people are looking at it like, really? <laughs> okay. uh-huh. uh, you, you know, good job. Uh, good luck with that. And it's like, you, you know, so yeah. I, I just wonder, like, is that is that common? Do you do you would you tell somebody in my situation that like, yeah, just let the dog pull or would you say no, let's try to, you know, correct that with obedience or is it subjective and very just kind of not an easy Question to answer?
0: To me, it's a very easy question to answer. Okay. And and, um, I know people have their different styles on that. But to me, here is how I solve that problem. What I do is my dogs have got to know two sets of obedience one is formal, the other one is going to be informal. So just to give you an example, um, you know, when my dog was a puppy, I let him pull everywhere. Like he, he was pulling me and, and the concept, the, the idea behind that was, you know, I want to make sure that you kind of what we talked about earlier, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do some obedience, but it's going to be very motivational and, uh, and I'm going to, not going to put a whole lot of pressure until you're a little bit older. So when he was about six months of age. That's when I was like, okay, dude, we're gonna we're gonna do start to introduce some boundaries. I tell my wife to do the same thing. She's doing the same. She did the same thing with her other dog. This little dog she's working with, she's doing the same thing, and mm-hmm. and it works great. And I didn't. It's not my idea. This is something that I, I got from other trainers too, which is, look, you're gonna learn competition obedience, and you're gonna learn, um, you know, informal or practical obedience. So my dog Rust, he there's no way he's going to pull me. There's no way. He's a big dog. We stopped that a long time ago when he was about 6 7 months of age. And I do and I did use pressure, but here's how I did this beautiful compromise that didn't affect his obedience at all, which was hey dude, um when I have you on my right side, on the right side of my body, you're not going to pull. You are going to get corrected if you get out of control. If you get very inappropriate, there are going to be some corrections. I'm going to get you to understand that being on the right side is rewarding. But basically, there's not going to be any pulling. Right? Mm-hmm. There are going to be some boundaries here on the right side. On the left side, that's my food side. right? That's my competition side. Mm-hmm. On that, it's going to be nothing but power and reward. Right and accuracy. Yeah. So if I tell you, um, you know, sits, that means keep your butt on the ground. And I've done this through motivation too. So it's not like I'm not just doing this through you know hammering, hammer and hammer and and using tons of pressure. Like I, I let the dog know if I say sits, that means your butt's on the ground and you don't mm-hmm. you don't move your butt until I say free. It Doesn't matter where I go for how long I leave you there. If I say sits. You're going to keep your butt on the ground. And this is not something I do out and about. This is something I only do in the trial field or when I'm training for competition. Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to make it more practical, less formal, my informal would be, I would tell him, I tell him, hang on. So hang on to him means wait. I don't care if you're sitting. I don't care if you're laying down. Just wait Mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. right? I don't care if you're standing. If yeah. I say hang on, he knows hang on means don't move until I come back. But I don't, I don't care if it's accurate. I don't care if it looks beautiful. I don't care if it's got speed behind it. And my dog has made that connection. He knows if you're on the right side, it doesn't have to look pretty. Just don't pull me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If, I keep, I would... if I put you on my left, it has to look pretty. If I tell you sits, it has to be fast. It has to be pretty. If I tell you, hang on, that means we're not competing. We're not training. I just want you to stay there for a minute until I come back or whatever. So I have formal and informal. If I tell you, uh, uh, let's go, that means come to me. That's my informal command to come back to me. If I do a whistle or a hia or a a foos, Mm -hmm. that's my competition recall. I want you to come back fast. I want it to look pretty. And I want it to be accurate. So I have two sets of commands for everything I do. And that way there's no confusion. Because when there is confusion is when you tell the dog foos. But then foos means two different things. It means keep your head up. But it also means, hey, don't pull me when we go from, from the parking lot to, to the building. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't want any gray areas. It has to be black and white. And for me to have that nice compromise... My suggestion to you, and suggestion that I have for uh, every client I work with, my club members, uh, and I practice this myself, is we're going to have uh, a set of uh, practical commands, uh, you know, informal commands, and we're mm-hmm. going to have a, a list of very formal competition commands. And the dog learns. They definitely learn to, to discriminate that, and they learn to differentiate it, and no issues happen because of it.
1: Yeah, you have one that's that your commands for a more relaxed environment, and you have exactly commands for when it's time to go to work. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and I would I would incorporate
0: that into into your uh, routine with your dog, and trust me, it will not affect your competition obedience. Won't affect your bite work. Um, you know, the dog dogs are sometimes. I feel what happens is, in general, dog trainers, dog owners. Sometimes we don't give the dog enough credit. We think that these are just these dumb animals that, you know, you mm-hmm. have to do it a certain way because they're dumb. And, and if you do it any other way, you're going to screw them up. And you'd mm-hmm. be surprised how resilient and how smart and how forgiving dogs can be. Where, you know, if you do happen to screw up, dogs will forgive you. They're like, dude, you screwed up. You didn't know what you were doing. I'll figure yeah. it out for both of us. And they do. Yeah. They really let's, do.
1: Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Exactly.
0: Yes. So, um, I think doing an, uh, you know, uh, an informal, more, re- uh, not, I don't want to say relaxed obedience. As well, Cause it's still gotta be obedience. Like if I tell you, right, it doesn't have to look mm-hmm. pretty, but you got to stay with me. Right. Um, but it's more informal. Oops. It doesn't have to look
1: pretty. Right. And, and so the hard the hard part, like for somebody like myself, is just figuring out how to how to learn that myself. Yeah, yeah, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. How to how to learn that that that's that's the thing. And and so as we go on, I find myself here like learning little things. Like I'm been just kind of working with her just to try to do a little focus heal. Mm-hmm. Not like. Um, I'm not like putting too much emphasis on it. Just kind of spending a few minutes on it, you know, here and there, just to see. Mm-hmm. It's not clean or anything, obviously, you know. But just to try to introduce it, I guess, you know, expose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've been doing that, and then the re just your basic recalls, mm-hmm. and uh, that's. I mean, she'll sit, you know she'll down she doesn't stay obviously i mean she'll sit but then she'll she'll pop back up she'll down for you know long long enough for her to to get the food and then she's ready to get back up and 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 so i guess with with my training of her having to be constantly you know i haven't i haven't tried to work with any kind of a stay or you know what i mean or Mm -hmm. uh, anything like that so I'm sitting here, like trying to figure out, like how am I going to put all this together? You know what I mean? How, how do you? That's that's where those kind of things is is where I guess you could say club really comes into play. Um, yeah,
0: and and I'll I'll kind of I told you last night when we were talking, I was going to point you in the right direction, and um, I'm going to narrow it for you. I'm going to narrow it down for you. And, uh, and this is gonna, this is gonna sound kind of crappy for, you know, maybe some of the, some of the trainers we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I say this with a lot of respect. I do respect all these guys, like all the names we've talked about. I highly regard those people. Plus all the mentors that I've had highly, highly regard them. You know, like I've watched Ivan Balabanov's training without conflict. Uh, I watched some of his other videos. Uh, I've watched Michael Ellis' videos. He's an awesome trainer. Um, Barbellone has his school, as you know, Nepopo. He has mm-hmm. his, his program. I haven't been to the Nepopo school, but before he started his school, I've watched like every video there is of Barbellone giving lectures, talking, teaching. Um, there are a lot of videos of Barbellone on the on the internet on youtube that are not you know they're they're not taken by by bart or by by his crew or by you know by his wife there are people that went to seminars recorded and they've put clips all throughout the internet of Mm barbellone so i highly regard alone too but um one trainer and i'm going to give this guy a huge shout, shout out um you know because not that i feel like this is the best guy out there he's amazing certainly amazing what he does but this one guy um, has some really good content uh really easy easy to follow and that is dave croyer oh okay Dave, Dave. dave croyer um you know he's he's definitely has his own style of training. It's, it's nothing crazy. It, it makes sense. It's not like, you know, Dave Croier trademarked, you know, this, his own particular styles, nothing like that. He, um, you know, he has this, um, this membership and there is no, <laughs> there is no discount code, you know, nothing. I don't get anything out of this, but, um, I do follow him, and uh, I am a member of his of his uh, you know of his uh, of his like membership website, mm-hmm. and man, it's like ten dollars a month, which is very cheap, mm-hmm. and he's got like hundreds of videos in his membership website, and it's like laid out in categories. So if you wanted to look up how to teach a front or a heel, he has like a series. On that, where right. he talks about the why, he does the lecture, he does examples, and he tells you exactly how to do it. And you're like, "Wow, then that's a lot on on that." But it's by Dave Croy. It's one person. Uh, certainly, again, it's one way to do it, but mm-hmm. he explains it in in uh, in operant conditioning terms. If you wanted to look up, okay, how do I train the retrieve? You look up retrieve. He's got a series of videos on how to teach. Motivational retrieve and force retrieve. Uh, so the guy is like a wealth of knowledge. He's got a bunch of uh, a bunch of experience. He's very accomplished as a trainer, uh, as a as a competitor, and uh, he's also a, a a Mondial ring judge. He's done a lot in the industry. But the the thing that I really like about Dave's uh, setup is one, it's very affordable. You know, like, you mm-hmm. look at, we're talking about Ivan Balabanov, and as much as I respect that guy, and I, and I definitely love his style, just one of his videos alone is, like, oh, you know, $100. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got that for one, one topic, and, you know, you can pay $10 a month for, like, hundreds of videos that Dave has. So I feel like uh, Dave is... And I've sent people there too. You know, when when people are very, very new, know my experienced trainers, but my my members are like, yeah, hey, you know, I I kind of want to know what to do. I'll send them to Dave Kroyer's, uh membership website because, again, you know, I like the setup that he has on his website. Yeah, useful Not, too. It's, it's useful. It's, it's user friendly. Uh, You know, you can pick a category and it tells you all of them, you know, and um, and I'm not saying that, you know, that the Dave Croyer is better than Ivan or he's better than Bard or he's better than Jerry Bradshaw or all these other guys we talked about. But I like that his setup Mm -hmm. can really help you out. And it's like it's more accessible, self-learning, like, you know, like you can uh, you can learn as much as you want to by just simply watching those videos mm-hmm. or you can, you know, you can just learn a couple of things here and there. Same thing. Like, but, but it's on you and it's one place, you know, you don't have to worry about going on YouTube and go, how do I teach a sit? And then you got like hundreds of videos by like hundreds of different people on how to teach a sit, mm-hmm. you know I mean? It can be very confusing of that information overload. Yeah. But Dave Kroger tells you, Hey, here is the different ways that I, that I teach it. And here's how I lay it out. Here is why I teach it this way. Dude, like, he's definitely one of the, my biggest resources when it comes to information. And, uh, you know, I give him huge, huge props for that. For that. Again, I get no, I don't get a cent out of giving him a shout out. This is just purely to let you know. That's one place where you can, like a person like you who has very little knowledge, but is willing to put in the work, will get a lot out of it.
1: Yeah. You know, one other person that I've been following that um, I, I don't know if he's a, as well known, um, but, man, I've been watching all of his videos, man, are really helpful. But the guy articulates really well, and he, he kind of explains it and dummies it down, mm-hmm. um, Is uh, Justin is Justin Rigney. Is that his name? Justin... Uh, yeah i'm not i'm not familiar he's i, I believe he's from going have to look him up um he's the k nine services unlimited i believe is his uh but yeah if you don't follow him uh man look him up because his he does tons of content um and i and I watch most of that primarily on instagram
0: okay i, I see, i'm looking him right now looking him up right now Justin
1: Rigney. yeah but that, okay. that guy right there, man, he, he knows his, his stuff, but he he communicates it, man, very well. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely check him out. <clears throat> um but yeah, I've just been, you know, look just kind of following uh people similar similar to that, that that articulates the you know, the, the technique really well thoughts and helps you know understand it for the
0: most part well hey man it's been it's been great talking to you i really appreciate you taking the time Uh, i hope i was able to give you some good answers yes sir and um you know i i'm very happy that that we had this conversation and we'll definitely get back together again if you uh you know if, if you want to uh if you have any additional questions just hit me up I'll help you out. Yeah, definitely. And um, but yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with your pup. And I know you're definitely heading in the right direction. You're you're doing your research. You're doing your homework. Clearly, it it sounds like you are. Yeah. And you're just bound to be successful. I, I just just a matter of you know doing the more specific research and uh, getting the answers and getting the whys. And like I said, you can hit me up anytime you want.
1: I appreciate it, man. I, I definitely will. Definitely will. I'll keep you posted right. on, uh, on the progress. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Th- see you, man. Bye. All right, bye.